And the title of the message comes from the conversation that Jesus has with the Samaritan woman at the well. And Jesus asked this woman if you know, she would give him a drink. She's there to draw water. And he, he's been traveling. He's hot. He's weary. He's sitting there by the well, and he asks her for a drink. But as the conversation progresses at the end, she's asking him for a drink of living water. And I'm sure you've all heard this saying or this, this uh, idiom we're all familiar with, but you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink, right? So I imagined when I, when I thought about that saying, I thought, I wonder where that originated. I wonder where that saying came from. I'm, I'm thinking like the Old West, you know, as people are traveling, traveling west, they're looking for opportunity. We're expanding the country. I thought maybe that's where it, was, you know, where it originated. And uh, I decided to look it up, and it actually, it's much older than that, as it turns out. It's an old English homily that goes back over a thousand years ago. So who, who'd have thunk, right? People are thirsty, and there's plenty of water, so why are people thirsty? That's a question I want you to think about. People are thirsty, and there's plenty of water to drink, so why are we so thirsty? So let's go look at the, the verse here, or the story here in John chapter 4. I'm going to start in verse 3. Jesus, or he, left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. Now, Jesus was traveling with his disciples from Judea to to Galilee, and in between those two regions is Samaria. And at that time, there's some conflict or there's some some hostilities between Jews and Samaritans, and those, those hostilities existed mainly because of ethnic, religious, and cultural differences. And there, there are several ways to travel from Judea to uh, Galilee, but the quickest route was through Samaria. And many devout Jews, what they decided to do, since there was so much hostility and, and problems with the Samaritans, they would take the alternative routes around Samaria, making a much longer journey, but they just didn't even want to deal with the drama, didn't want the conflict. So most devout Jews, like Jesus, would have traveled around Samaria, but Jesus has to go through Samaria, not because timing or it's the quickest route has nothing to do with travel plans. Jesus needs to go through Samaria because he needs to meet with this woman at the well. Let's pick it back back up at verse 5. So he came to the city of Samaria, which is called Shikar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well and it was about the sixth hour. Now, if you're not familiar with biblical times, it's quite different than ours. When you see the sixth hour, most of us are probably thinking like 6 a.m., but that's, that's not biblical time. It's 12 noon. It's noontime. This is why Jesus is wearied. He's hot. The sun is high. But he's at the right place at the right time. Let's pick it back up at verse 7. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Now, based on this dialogue, we can already see some of the, the subtle hostility that's taking place there. I mean, number one, she's asking a question, she an answer that she already knows to the question, and she knows that Jesus knows the answer to the question. What she's saying is this, if you Jews think you're so much better than us, why are you asking me for a drink? A Samaritan. Any of us were in the same circumstance, and we're kind of met with that kind of condescending tone. How would we react to this circumstance? 
Jesus reacted how we ought to react in this circumstance. He puts aside his feelings and he just goes for the mission. He's focused on the purpose of the mission. And like the Samaritan woman, Jesus doesn't find us in the, the best of our circumstances. Obviously, this woman is in a difficult place. She's got some hostility. And you know, when Jesus finds you and I, he doesn't find us in the best of places. He often finds us in places where we're, we're down or we're defeated or we're just going through stuff. And it's, it's usually at, at our rawest moments. And church, reaching lost people, it's not a nice and tidy process. It can be very messy. And, and the messier the lives, the messier it can become. And I know we all like to, especially in this day and age, we like to avoid drama. I am just like you. But honestly, I would, I would rather deal with people and their lostness and their drama than church people and their drama. I'm just being honest with you. I, I, can, I can take it from in the world, but it's difficult when it's in the church because it shouldn't be here. It doesn't need to be here. But we expect it out there. And people are lost in their sin. They're hurting. And sometimes they will perceive your compassion as hostility, or they'll think you're judging them, or you're being critical of them. There are times where you will reach out to people like this, and Jesus is doing this. He's going there for this woman. He's there to meet with this woman. She has a need. He's trying to help her. He has compassion for her, and he's reaching out there. What does she do? She smacks the hand. Boy, you ever done that before? No good deed goes unpunished, right? But he's a perfect example of here. You just have to set that aside, keep the mission as your focus. Church, if we allow the Holy Spirit to really cultivate compassion in us, even when people are hostile towards us, we could show them the compassion that they don't deserve. And that's why Jesus tells us to do this. Pray for your enemies. Pray for those who mistreat you. When we pray for those people, we think this, that God's going to change them. That's not going to happen. That's not going to happen until they're born again. Then he will change them. You know, this is what takes place. When you reach people that are hostile or maybe angry towards you, you're trying to show them compassion. When you pray for them, God changes you. And that's the difference. So let's go on to verse 10. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now Jesus sees this woman's greatest need and he offers her the solution. And the solution is living water. So what is living water? And really all we have to do is go to another story in, in John chapter 7 where Jesus really explains in detail what living water is. So let's go to John chapter 7, just what is living water? What is Jesus offering this woman? So on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. For he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And then he goes on to explain what this is. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So Jesus is referring to living water as the Holy Spirit, when he's received by those who had put their faith in Christ as Lord and Savior. Living water is the presence, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's flowing out of a heart that has been redeemed by God. This woman hears Jesus offering her living water, but she's thinking in physical terms. She's thinking Jesus is offering some water that will quench her thirst forever. And this woman thinks her problems are physical when in fact they are truly spiritual. This woman needs Jesus. She needs a drink of this living water. She needs 
life, the life of the Holy Spirit dwelling in her. And all of us, church, all of us need living water. I mean, think about this. When it comes to the Holy Spirit, it's not an elective. It's not a choice. If you are born again, if you give your life to Jesus, if you accept salvation on his terms, you should receive the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 9, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. For now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ or the Holy Spirit, it's not different spirits, he is not his. So the Holy Spirit is a necessity. You know, we need to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. We need to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to be uh, filled or enjoy the presence of the Holy Spirit. We need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that enables us to live a holy life. We need the Holy Spirit who empowers us to fulfill the mission of Christ. Church, we need living water, every one of us. And the good news is, is living water is available to us all. You know, you can lead a person to Jesus, but you can't make them drink the living water that is available to them. See, many of us need a drink of living water, and it's available to us all. It's not, it's not available to a select group. It's available to us all. And I'm just praying that God will challenge each and every one of you this morning to drink freely from this living water that's available to us. The Samaritan woman was thinking of living water in terms of, of physical terms, water that she could receive, water that could solve her problems, water that, that would keep her from going down to the, to the well and drawing water day after day. But Jesus sees beyond all that, and he sees her physical needs, but he sees what, what she's really trying to quench. And what she's trying to quench, her thirst is for something spiritual. But she's trying to quench that thirst in all the wrong ways. And this is where the story starts to turn. He's, he's offering her living water. He knows the problem. So let's go on verse 11. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I may, that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. So like this woman, we become thirsty. We fix our, our, our desires on physical things. Often we get thirsty and this is what we're thirsty for. I need more money. I just need more money in my life. I need a better job. Uh, I need better clothing. I need new clothes. I need a new do. I need a new look. I need a better car. I need a new place to live. I need a different relationship. I need, to get, I need a drink. I need to get high. See, Jesus knows this woman, and she's trying to quench her thirst, in this case, with relationships. What's at verse 16? Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said to him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have said, well, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband, and that you, truly, you spoke truly. The woman responds this way, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. 
Now, this woman has had five husbands, and obviously the man she's living with isn't her husband. She's shacking up with this guy. So why was this woman at the well at 12 noon? I mean, that's not the best time to draw water. It's hot. The sun is high. Why would anyone? It's a terrible time to get water. So she wasn't there drawing water with the other ladies who had been doing this normally in the morning or, at, or in the evening, at the cooler parts of the day. But she's purposely drawing water by herself. Her and Jesus is alone. This is why Jesus is there at that time. He knows she's going to be at that well alone. There isn't going to be any snickering. There's going to be any stories. He's just going to be able to have this conversation with this woman. It's a terrible time to draw water, and most likely the village, uh, the women in the villages, they would come around at the, the wells at this time in the morning and the, in the evening, they would fellowship. I mean, it's a time where they could share about their day, what's been going on. But this woman doesn't go at the same time because she's excluded. She's either excluded or she's not welcomed. Because let's face it, she's a woman in that day and age, been married five times, and she's living with a guy. She's not going to be welcomed. She's not going to be received. There are people like this in our church. There are people like this in our community. They go from relationship to relationship, hoping their thirst will be quenched. They're looking for fulfillment in a relationship or a sexual experience, but there isn't one person or one experience that will give them the satisfaction that they desire, the satisfaction that their, their heart is crying out for. When you drink from the well of living water, you can, find, you can find satisfaction then in relationships. But if you're trying to look for a relationship and find fulfillment in that relationship, you're never going to find it. You got to look first to Jesus. He is the source. Look at, look at uh, let's say, musicians or actors or people in popular culture. Here are people that have looks, they have fame, they have money, they'll have beautiful partners. But how many of those celebrities have a revolving door of people in and out of their lives? They're never satisfied. They can have the most beautiful partner, but they're never satisfied. So think about it. If these people with the most to offer and gain in physical attributes or physical terms or resources, if they can't have their thirst quenched, why do we think that we are going to have satisfaction that those celebrities aren't finding themselves? See, if you aren't in right relationship with Jesus, relationships are going to be frustrating and your thirst will never be satisfied. If you're, in, if you're not in right relationship with Jesus and you're thinking that I'm going to find the right person and that if I find the right person, all my needs are going to be fulfilled. Quite frankly, your heart isn't right with God and your mind needs to be renewed. Your hope, your trust is in a person rather than Jesus. Only Jesus can satisfy those desires. Now, I'm not saying we all remain celibate. We don't have a husband and wife we're looking for. I'm not saying that, but you got to get it in the right order. Jesus is first. How does this woman respond to Jesus? How does she respond to his words? She responds how most of us would respond. She would respond in a way, not with humility, but with a lot of religion. Here's what I mean. Remember, you have had five husbands, and the man you're living with is not your husband. So that was the response, right? How does she respond? Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. Now, I, wanna, I would want to say, hey, look, whoa, whoa. where are you going this way? Let's talk about this. 
Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him, worship him in spirit and truth. Her response, really, if you think about it, has nothing to do, nothing to do with what he was exposing in her life. And see, we do the same thing. Here's what I mean. She says, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. I understand you're a prophet. Now, we should respond this way and, and say, okay, I feel a little bit of conviction. I see that my sin is exposed. I, I see and understand that you understand what I'm dealing with. You know, I, I need to be honest here. I feel conviction. I need to repent. But that's not how she responds. She really brings up a religious response. See, the truth is this. We, when we feel exposed as Christians, our sin is exposed, we put up a religious response often. Now, you've heard me address this topic from the pulpit before. And you may think when I'm talking about this, I'm only referring to people who think once they're saved, they're always saved. But I'm not. I'm really, I'm really thinking about us. We don't believe in that. We don't believe that's a doctrine that we would preach or, or support. But I want you to think about this from our terms here. 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For those of us who are being saved, a process, a continual process, we are being saved. Now, to many of us, we think this, I got saved and I quenched my thirst one, one time and I'm done and it's okay. See, and, and what we miss is this, that's not the process. Just because you drank of the Spirit of God once doesn't mean you're done. See, God doesn't show us grace to give us permission to remain in sin. God gives us grace so we'll repent and we'll move away from our sin. Grace isn't God's permission for us to live with one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. Look what Paul says here in Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? So if you're born again and in right relationship with God, how can you be comfortable with satisfying the desires of your flesh while trying to satisfy the desires of the Spirit? Listen to what Paul goes on to say. Or do you not know that as many as us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized in his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. God gives us grace and shows us mercy so that we can walk in newness of life. The Holy Spirit makes us a new person, gives us power to live in newness of life. I'm not talking about works unto salvation. I'm talking about people who, are, people who are genuinely born again, who have genuinely received the Holy Spirit, who have genuinely experienced a life-changing power called the Holy Spirit, and then walking in newness of life, living a new life that the Holy Spirit empowers. This woman has an encounter with Jesus. Jesus sees all the sin, all the religion in her life. Jesus sees this woman who is thirsty, but what, she is, what is she trying to do? She's trying to satisfy with the world and with religion. 
See, religion has an appearance of godliness, but it lacks the power to transform your life. Religion looks appealing outwardly, but it doesn't have the ability to satisfy the desires of your heart. It cannot quench your spiritual thirst. Only Jesus can satisfy the desires of our hearts. Only living water, only the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, empowering us, can give us the satisfaction our heart desires. Some of you have religion. Many of us have religion. And our relationship with Jesus is somewhat surface level. And you will never find satisfaction at that surface level. See, there is a well that flows endlessly with living water. Endlessly. So there's no reason to settle for a sip. See, religion doesn't do it for us. And you know what? We all know that. I could preach it. I could teach it. I could tell you, but you already know it. Religion never satisfies. Yet we often get comfortable with it. And this is what we do. We know religion won't do it for us, so what we do is we kind of look for other stuff to kind of fill in the gaps. It doesn't quite quench our thirst. So we start looking for other stuff, usually from the world. And I'm telling you that we've allowed religion to lie to us for far too long. See, you can't drink from the living water that Jesus makes available and drink the water that comes from the well of this world. Jesus addresses this in Revelation. Church of Laodicea should come to our minds. Revelation 3.15, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Now, if you know anything about Laodicea, there was warm springs, hot springs, and cold springs. And there was a merging, but it, it's a different story. But it's an, it's, it's an incredible visual. Now, Jesus spoke these words to this church, a church they had works. They were doing the things for God. They were doing things for God. But beyond that, was this, it's just surface. Church that was religious. It spirit, appeared spiritual, but they were drinking the water of this world. Religion is lukewarm water. It's dangerous. It's deceptive. And we can become accustomed to a counterfeit. Church, don't ever, as a believer, don't ever satisfy yourself with religion and thinking there isn't any more. Well, I'm saved, and all I got to do is just kind of wait for heaven to come. No, that's not the answer. That's dangerous. Religion isn't the living water that Jesus makes available to us, and we're all prone to it. We got to be very careful. And you may say, well, pastor, I, I drunk of living water two years ago, 10 years ago, 30 years ago. And if that's your understanding, it explains why you aren't satisfied. And it explains why you can be somewhat religious. Look at this, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. And do not be drunk with wine in which dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, Paul tells us to be filled with the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit. And, and honestly, the translation really doesn't capture the continuing part of this, this whole conversation. Uh, other translations get this better. Give me an example. Here, here's the amplified. And do not be drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but ever be filled and stimulated with the Holy Spirit. Here's another version. Don't get drunk with wine because it makes you lose control. Instead, keep on being filled with the Spirit. Here's another version. Don't destroy yourself by getting drunk, but let the Spirit fill your life. Last one, stop getting drunk with wine, which leads to wild living, but keep on being filled with the Spirit. Church, we should be filled with the Spirit, remain filled with the Spirit. 
What are you pursuing in order to satisfy the thirst of your soul? If you're thirsty and you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, be filled. Be filled again. Remain filled with the Holy Spirit. See, this world, sin, temptation, religion itself, it will just run you dry. It will it'll just sap all the living water right out of you. And if you don't replenish that, you'll struggle. That's the issue. I think we're not saying filled with the Spirit. I'm looking at Holt Assembly Live. We're not saying filled with the Spirit. There's plenty of water to drink, but we're just not being filled with the Spirit because we're not drinking. The Holy Spirit can lead you to the well flowing with living water, but he can't and won't make you drink. And I'm not saying can't because he's limited. I'm just saying he won't. Holy Spirit won't force you to do anything. He's not a controlling force. That's not how he operates in our lives. If that was the fact, we'd all be saved. We'd all be living the right way. There's something called free will. So many of us, we need a drink of living water. You know, you've been, often we've been drinking for this well of religion. We, we, we keep telling ourselves, you know, this is all right. But religion will never satisfy your thirst. Nothing can satisfy your thirst except for Jesus being perpetually filled with the Spirit of God. See, in this woman's conversation with Jesus, I don't know if you caught this, but really there's, there's three things that really stand out, what she's looking for, what she's desiring. Number one, physical needs. She wants her physical needs met. She's thinking of water in physical terms. She's thinking, I don't have to go down to this well. I don't have to deal with the shame, the embarrassment, and all this. And then relational. She's trying to find something relationally to fill the gap. And third is this. She has these spiritual desires. She worships and she understands there's something missing in this worship in Samaria. So three things should stand out to us, and those are three things we, we all deal with ourselves. Only a life that is being filled with the Spirit can find satisfaction in those three areas. Listen to what the woman says to Jesus in response. And what she would say is this. She would, she would say, give me this living water. And Jesus then shows himself to her, who he is. If you want contentment in your life, if you want to find satisfaction, here, here's a key. And this is difficult for us. If we want to find fulfillment and satisfaction in our life, if we want to be filled, if we don't want to thirst after the things of this world, you have to starve your flesh. Starve your flesh and feed the desires of your spirit. I mean, that's what Paul writes about here in Galatians 5, 16. I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the, lust, uh, uh, the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things you wish. The water is available to you. Every one of you. The water is available to you. Living water is available to you. But you just aren't drinking. You just aren't drinking. Here's why. Because most of us are satisfying our desires with other things. That doesn't mean you're a bad person. That doesn't mean you're going to hell. It doesn't even mean you're necessarily doing anything sinful. But I can see it in the lack of our worship. And I'm talking about more than expression, but an expression of worship is part of worship. I see it in the lack of commitment. I see it in our families. I see it in our conversations. We aren't drinking from the living water that's available. There aren't enough drugs, lust, relationships, money, things, experiences in this world that will ever satisfy your thirst. Again, if that was the case, the happiest people on earth would be the, the richest, 
the prettiest and the most famous people. And yet they have the same struggles that we have. In fact, you know, the more we try to satisfy our desires, our thirst with the things of this world, not even necessarily bad things, the thirstier we become, the drier we get. The more we try to satisfy ourselves with those things, the thirstier our spirit becomes. And if we don't stop feeding the desires of our flesh and drink of the living water that's available, the cycle only continues. I look at it as a church, and I quite honestly say this, we're lukewarm. We don't have a desire to drink from the living water that's available to us. Listen to what Jesus says. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. So blessed, happy, whole, content, complete are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, living water is available to us all. That's not an issue. We just don't have a desire to drink. We just need better preaching. That's what we need. If we had better preaching, we wouldn't be so lukewarm. We just need better worship. We need different songs. We need more programs. No, what we need is a drink of living water, church. That's what we need. Living water is all around us. If you're born again, there's no shortage of living water. This is not the place where you find living water only. You can find living water here. You can find living water out there. You should find living water everywhere because the Spirit is everywhere. Here's the problem. We're just not thirsty. We're not thirsty for righteousness. We are thirsty for other things. Jesus said, when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, that's when we'll be satisfied. It comes down to our desires. And which of those desires are we feeding? We have as much of Jesus as we want. We have as much as the Holy Spirit as we want in our lives. We have as much as the living water that we want to drink from. And if you're thirsty, it's your own fault. It's my own fault. It's not my fault that you're thirsty. It's your fault that you're thirsty. It's not your fault that I'm thirsty. It's my fault. The Holy Spirit will not force you to drink. He will not bring you to the well and stick your head in there and say, you're going to drink. You're going to drink living water whether you like it or not. And you'll thank me for it later. That's not how he operates. You aren't going to stumble in the church and we're going to lay hands on you. And I know this is sometimes promoted from some churches. We're going to lay hands on you. Suddenly, you're going to walk away with a greater desire to drink living water. And I found this to be true in all my Pentecostal experience. There's sometimes a little bump, but it doesn't last. Because often it's more of an emotional appeal rather than it is a deep spiritual hunger. And no man, no person, no ministry can create that in you. If you look around our church, I see great people. And most of us just lack a desire to drink living water. And I think this is part of it. We believe, I think we've become somewhat accustomed to religion. And it's left a bad taste in our mouth. And your fear, that, your fear is this, by taking a drink of this living water that I'm speaking of. It's something you've already tried. It's something you've already done. And it, it didn't quench your thirst. So why would you settle for that? And here's what I'm going to tell you. Church, if you didn't, if you drank living water and it didn't satisfy you, you didn't drink living water. Because when you drink living water, you know the difference. It's more than fluff. When you have a drink of living water, you know that that's what I want. 
If you didn't leave thirsting for more of that living water, you didn't drink living water. Psalms 42.1, as the deer pants for the water brook, so pants my soul for you, O God. Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? Living water, is ever, it's available. You know, when you come in the church, it, when I say religion, it's not like when you come through those doors, there is no living water. That's not the fact. The fact is the living water is here, and it's out in your world, outside of these doors. Are you thirsty? Revelation 22, 17. One of the last, last statements of the Bible, list this. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts, come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. It's one of the last sentences in the Bible. An invitation to drink. The water is available. It satisfies. It quenches those desires. It makes you thirsty for more in a good way. See, it makes you thirsty in this way, that I can drink of that water, I can be satisfied, I can be filled. But when you drink of the world, it's empty, it's hollow. There is no satisfaction. And you just hunger and thirst for righteousness, and there's just more of God, more of his presence, more of his goodness. The water is available, it satisfies, but you have to have the desire. That's what you supply. Do you have the desire? And if not, then you have to figure out why. And I would venture to say it's just this. Again, it doesn't make us bad. It doesn't make us nasty people. We're just satisfying ourselves with other things. Other things get in the way. Life gets in the way. Stuff gets in the way. Money gets in the way. Whatever Things get in the way. We're just not hungry for God. And you know what? The quicker, the quicker we can just honestly accept that, I don't say this with any glee. I'm just saying this as a pastor, as a shepherd. We're not hungry. We're not thirsty. And you can tell me you are all you want. We could be like the woman at the well. You have five husbands, and the guy you're with is not your husband. Hey, you Jews worship here. Don't give me a religious response. The response she should have had said, I'm a sinner. I'm thirsty, and I'm trying to satisfy my thirst with everything in this world, and it's just not working. What do you got? And you know what? Desperation is a good place to be. Desperation is a good place to be. But what religion does is short circuits that desperation. And it makes you just kind of, all right, I'm okay with this. We need to get rid of that, church. We need to be hungry for God. If you're hungry for God and it's genuine, you're going to find living water. 